thanks for coming and talking to me today. Man, it's always good to see you, Dustin. Yeah, yeah, you too. Yeah, and you're always up to like a lot of interesting stuff. How did um, Rumfest go this year? Uh, Rumfest was was um, was good. It, it was it was a good it was a good show. Uh, we had um, I got to play with my boys, and of course, um, that's just a blast for me. Yeah, you guys killed it. Well, the students are great. Um, I love working with Amanda Duncan. She's just she's big voice oh she's something she is something else and just a great amount of energy yeah she's got a whole vibe yeah just, yeah and, she's and good. it's where we got a lot of shows that we're booking trying to book up it's kind of hard to do with with a 16 year old and a 14 year old i bet but uh they just both i mean i know i'm a dad it may sound like i'm boasting but i've played with a lot of musicians and i've taught a lot of musicians i've never seen anything like these two boys yeah, I mean, yeah, they were born into it. They were, they were. I mean, born know. into not just you playing music, but running a music academy, mm-hmm. and just around so many talented people. And they were around the whole process of how you become skilled. Mm-hmm. So that's probably not even like something they have to try to figure out how to motivate themselves to do. It's just a way of life. It, it really is. I mean, they really they do it. I mean, I think uh, Emerson has perfect pitch. That he's the one who plays keyboard. Okay. And uh, he's just really, really good at picking stuff up. Like uh, the other day, I kind of, we, we got some songs we're working on. And I'm like, have you worked on those? Or have you worked on this song? He says, no, but I got it. I'm like, what? He says, I got it. <laughs> so I said, well, let's go, let's go see. And he just nails it. You know, it's like, <laughs> man, you know, and yeah. I, have to, I still have to bust my hind end to get a lot of these things down. But it's okay. It's, it's, I'd love it. I just, I love it. That's great. So. That's what every father's hope, anyway, from my perspective, is that your kids do something better than you do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. That's what you want. You want best for them. Yeah. Man, and that's, you said you played with so many musicians, and that's the thing. I don't even know, like, what to start talking to you about. You have so many awesome stories. Like, it, it's so much stuff from the past and the present it's just awesome um i ran into you mostly um with the rum academy Mm -hmm. i took lessons from you for a while that was that was a good time i enjoyed it i I enjoyed it i liked it that i gave you a small amount of information but it seemed to open up a whole world for you you know what i mean yeah with just how things move in a modal movement type of thing and i never will forget you said why didn't anybody ever show me this before and I like that, you know. I mean, I like that the, the honesty of people. Sometimes people want, oh well, I, I know that, you know. Oh right, yeah. But I think that's one so. of the things that makes you just a, just a great guy and somebody that I I enjoy being around. Thanks. Yeah, I love being taught. Yeah, I, I love learning, and I never think like even when I'm really good at something, all I really learn is how much I don't know about it, how much better I could be. Yeah. So the more I learn about something, the more ignorant I feel about it. Or, you know, I, I've heard that same thing before, and I've said that same thing before, that, you know, it, the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. And, and, and it, yeah, if you keep an open mind like that and you're willing to learn, all you're going to do is grow as a human being. Yeah, and especially music's a good example of that. I, th- I think, uh, well, my daughter goes to integrated arts school now. Mm. I think um, in our culture music and and art in general has gotten underrated Mm -hmm. as far as your educational and developmental process and like 
I think what you do at the Rome Academy should be something that all kids have an opportunity to have. Well, I, I agree with that. I, I really agree with that because if you don't if you don't promote that creativity and that imagination, I mean, even Einstein said, you know, imagination is far greater than anything else you could teach a child. Let them be and let them understand and be creative. Uh, read them fairy tales. You yeah. Know? And I think that uh, we forget that sometimes we want to control everything that somebody says, thinks, or does. You know, and we don't. We don't. Want, I don't want to do that with my kids. I don't want to do that with anybody because that blocks creativity instantly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And also, me with music, the the discipline. Uh, you have to learn incremental improvement. The process, <laughs> because you can't sit down and play Mozart on the piano. If you no. I mean. The best pianists can't do that. Right. Not today. Yeah. It's going to take some time. Yeah. And that's an awesome thing f for kids. It's hard to teach anyone like discipline and incremental improvement. And music is like the most fun way I could think of to do it. Well, absolutely. Especially if you give somebody a fun way to achieve that. And to me, I mean, I think that was always the thing I wanted to do when it came to playing because that's what I was, that's the way I learned. Was it? Yeah, if I'd learned something that I liked, I would play it. I would work on it yeah. and get it to where I felt good with it, you know. I never felt perfect with anything I ever played. But that's okay because understanding perfect in music is a fleeting thought. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, you can always critique yourself. Other people yeah. might think that it's perfect, but you look at it yourself and you hear it a whole different way than, than the other person who's listening to it hears it. And um, that's, that's okay. true. Okay. That's true. Perfect compared to what? Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting. It's amazing to me that humans even like the same music. That It's interesting there's a common thread. Like people will hear music individually and to decide which ones are better than others hmm. and like other people generally agree i find that fascinating well i understand what you, sometimes i wonder if that isn't something that is kind of um manipulated too i i wonder about that you know what i oh, mean oh sure sold yeah advertised yeah because yeah. i mean when when you hear something enough times and you hear somebody saying enough times, "Wow, this is great!" Wow, right. this is like popular music. Then you then you get there, and I'm just a firm believer that no matter what style you are, and no matter where you're at on the on a level of musicianship and stuff, there's an audience for you somewhere. There's oh, an yeah. audience for you somewhere, but yeah, unless you're just banging out all dissonant notes, then yeah. then yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what I was talking about. I've, I think there's a deep biological, um, well, first of all, the fact that we have scales at all yeah. means we have some sort of agreement on sound. Right. You know? Right. And when you hit really ugly dissonant notes, everybody agrees that it sounds bad somehow. Absolutely. That's interesting. Unless you play it the second time. Repeat it. If you, Chad Atkins, greatest guitar player ever lived. Maybe, arguably. Uh, yeah. He was on Johnny Carson, and, and Johnny, Johnny asked him, I was watching it with late night TV. He said, uh, do you ever make a mistake? And Chad goes, no. 
he says, sometimes I hit a note that I shouldn't hit, but I just go back and hit it again. And then it becomes <laughs> part of the song. Yeah. And everybody recognizes that it's okay. And if you do that, experiment with it. Yeah. You'll be surprised. Like, that's cool. That's, uh, that's so true. I've thought about that from a different angle before. Like, when you're trying to perfect a piece of music or play it, what you're actually trying to do is perfect the last imperfection that became a song, an original piece. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, maybe it wasn't a mistake, but it was something different. So yeah. it wasn't perfect until you liked it. Absolutely. And now you're trying to perfect something that you like because it wasn't the same as the last thing. It's so weird. I like that. I like that. That's a good way to look at that. Yeah. I never really, really thought about it in that, in that order. That's what we do. Yeah. I think weird stuff. Man, and your school is so cool. Um, it's like the way it's all centered around performance-based stuff, I think, is awesome for kids. Because a lot of people, are, you know, a lot of schools, a lot of music lessons teach people music. But you teach them performance. That's Ex the key. Expose them to using that music for other yeah. people. Yeah. I think that's, that's special. I mean, what, how did you come up with that? Was that the goal all the time? Well, it really was. When, when I first, when I first started doing that, because I remember, I remember being in people's garage and you know, hey, we'll, we'll play for you, we'll play for, you. we'll do this, we'll do that. You know, here I'm, twelve years old, thirteen years old, um, just willing to play anywhere where you could get out and do that because that was the expression that you wanted. You wanted to be able to do that, and um, so I thought I had taught before, and I, I had plenty of friends that had taught. Um, and the, it was just like the story was, oh yeah, you people come in, you, you know, try to get them to do this, this, and this, and, and they're not doing it. They're not holding their hands right, or they're uh -huh. not doing this. And, and to me, it was like, that's not the point. To me, the point is have some place to show this rather than just playing in your bedroom. You know, if you give yeah. a kid a challenge, and uh, or an adult, I mean, because I've taught a lot of adults too, you know, give them that opportunity to perform. It does two things. One, it makes them work harder on it, okay? Two, it gives them that pressure to really achieve something that they wouldn't achieve if they were just doing it by themselves, you know? Yeah. And that was the whole idea because I had seen myself struggle as a kid. You know, we would play anywhere. You know, anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's hard for some people don't. There's so many great musicians out there that are just a little too apprehensive to, to put that kind of effort in. And they would probably really excel at your, at your school. Well, and I think the other thing is, is providing a, an atmosphere. I mean, the way I always started out shows and performances at the Academy is we have great musicians and great musicians in the making. You know, and... To me, that's really important because you give that give them that opportunity to to attain that level. You know, I mean, it's just like if you always tell your child you're bad, you know, that's disgusting. This or that. Yeah, you're beating that child down. They they're going to live up to your expectations. If you tell them they're really good at things, to a point. I mean, you don't want. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in effort too. You know, why not reward effort? Yeah, that's that's huge. 
but I think the positive influence that you can give to children and adults too is great, plus that safe environment. So like I would tell students that like the first time they would play, look, just go up there, do the best you can, and I'll play with you, or we'll have other musicians play with you, and if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. We'll take that. That's my mistake, not yours. And, and it's so good. I remember one young lady that she's in Nashville now. She's a member of songwriting and stuff. I mean, just, just, just sweet as can be. And so shy. And she was taking that file. I talked her into, into doing a student night. And I, I thought she was going to just pass out. She, <laughs> yeah. you know, I know because, that feeling. And she, yeah. she, and I'm like, look, I'm here with you. Don't worry about it. Uh, and she played, I want to be like the cool kids. You know, cool kids was the name of the song. Uh. And uh, I said, look, just don't worry about it. And so she was very soft-spoken with her voice and sang the same way, you know. It's like, if I just talk like, if I sing like this, nobody will really hear me. Right, and, and yeah. it's, <laughs> You know, but it was okay. And now she's turned into one incredible performer. But it just takes that time and that effort to give somebody that that motivation, yeah. to give somebody that shield of protection, and to make sure that, and another, the other part of my thing at the academy was, don't you ever say anything bad about another musician. I love that. I love the culture of, of your place. And it really makes sense now, you know, that there's a, bunch of people in here who think of themselves as great musicians in the making that's how everybody is there it seems like when i was every time i'm there people are just playing the best they can and they're not self-conscious about it right and, and everybody's supporting everybody at every level that's we need that in life period yeah right man wouldn't that be a cool culture in general <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know where we'll find that at but uh, not one student has ever been canceled at Rome Academy. No, never, <laughs> never. I also like what you, your philosophy behind why you haven't performed is something that strikes me as really important because I, I also believe that you have to push people to face their fears to, and overcome things, and it's awesome to, that you guys support them while they do it. Yeah. You can't tell people that they're amazing when they're not. I, that's... I know there's a lot of that going around. Right. You have to tell people. That's why, like when you said, in the, in the making. Right. It means you have something to do. You have something to improve on. It's not you're amazing now. Don't try anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So I really like that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you turn out a lot of amazing musicians because of it. And amazing people. Well, that's that's my blessing. You know what I mean? That makes that's what makes it all really worthwhile to me. I'll bet it's rewarding. It is, you know, it's just to see them happy, to see them enjoy what they're doing, to see yeah. their family light up and 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 enjoy what they're doing, and others around them. You know, that's I couldn't ask for more. Yeah, it's such a fun time being there. Um, I, if anybody is bored enough to listen to this, I hope they just stop by Rome Academy sometime and hang out because it's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. But you kind of retired, right? I really did retire. You really did this time? Yeah. I, it, you retired I, how many times? Well, no, this... <laughs> just uh, kidding. Well, the first time I, I, I tried to retire, Yeah. it was just there was too many loose ends. 
sure. to take care of at the academy. Too much training had to be had to happen. Too much information had to be exchanged for yeah. somebody to run it. Um, you know, and Sammy Suter is just Sammy Suter Lightsey has done just a phenomenal job. She's great, and I just think the world of her. She's an incredibly talented person, a very intelligent person, um, very mature. Yeah, for her yeah. age. Yeah, and so you know, I'm I'm I couldn't have asked for a better replacement. You know, and um, you know, my son Levi is teaching up there now, and uh, I love that. You know, and he he loves teaching too. So I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, he te- he's te- teaching drums, and he's just he's so good. He really is. <laughs> like, I think he. I met him. He's like, I was like, yeah, I'll check out your Instagram. He's like, I'll be a pretty good drummer, huh? Yeah. Okay. Let me check it out. I watched some Instagram videos. I was like, holy shit, this kid is good. <laughs> he can do it. I mean, he can, yeah. he can just do it. Right. <laughs> That's cool. But the the good news about you retiring is you've had more time to play music. I uh, I think I really got to the point where I was really kind of it, it, I I didn't don't think I really became very burnt out, just burnt out, you know. You, um, and I love teaching. Teaching is very detrimental, in some ways, because. To me, to grow as a musician, you have to continually challenge yourself. You're the person you need to compete with. Nobody else. There's no competition with anybody. It's just with yourself. And to feel comfortable with that. And uh, so I just got, I mean, for like maybe two years, I just barely did it. I just didn't even want to touch my guitars. I just didn't. Yeah, you're giving it all away all day long to people. And then the last thing you're going to do after work is... Play yeah. guitar, right? Right. Yeah. And now I'm back up to I'm back up to basically doing my scales, doing my my things to get myself really playing, and hearing things that I want to hear and experimenting. I'm up to two hours a day of that now again. Oh, cool. And uh, when I when I used to tour all the time, I would I would practice a minimum of six hours a day. I mean that was that was not playing that was practice, and uh, but that's your job man it was you know and that's that's where it worked at you know that's where it worked at because it wasn't that i was doing it to do anything better than anybody else i was doing it to increase my ability and uh i loved it because sometimes we i remember we we learned uh, and this was a we were we did a lot of covers as well as originals too what was the name of that one that was hammer hammer yeah and i remember we uh we decided we were going to learn um one because it just came out by metallica really yeah that's a good song and uh we got done playing in kalamazoo michigan at peppers okay great great club great club and we were on our way to charleston south carolina and we we're going to play at the flying dutchman well the flying dutchman three thousand seating capacity okay and we would pack that place in seven nights in a row loved the place i knew if we pulled off one it'd be great so anyhow uh, the drummer, he had been working on it a little bit on himself, by himself. Everybody else was just, you know, in the van, you know, trying to figure out their parts and stuff like that. Well, yeah. I'm driving, 
because the old van, you know, is one of those things where you, <laughs> there's a stick shift on the column. Oh, nice. And uh, so I was the only one who could get it from first to second gear. Once we got second gear, we could go to third. So occasionally I would get to rest and shift that gear for him when he needed to. <laughs> but uh, we listened to that song all the way, which was about, eh, about a nine-hour drive. Oh, my gosh. You just and, put it deep in your unconscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And you get there and you do it. You know, you just do it. And before I, before that, one of the ways I used to like to really listen to music to get it in my head was that I was a, I was a, a, a technician for General Motors. Okay, that, that was my part-time job. Yeah. Okay. All right, and uh, and I mean part-time. <laughs> but uh, I had heard about a tens machine. Now, tens machine, that is. Um, I don't know what that is. Okay, a tens machine is is something that Russia came up with, okay? And they did it for their spies, their agents. And they literally could use this tin machine by stimulating the alpha and beta waves in a different way, okay, with a small electric charge. They could speak fluently almost any language in six weeks. Whoa. Oh, you're talking about your, your brain frequencies, the right. alpha and beta brain Right. So the machine helps you change your... Well, yeah, what it does is it gives you a charge, okay? Oh. So I remember sitting there, and I loved Ozzy and Randy, you know, or, yeah. you know, and I remember I would just sit there, and I would, I would hold on to those things. Now, my charge was a little bit too hot. <laughs> no. <laughs> I couldn't get it to work. That should be the name of your solo project. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too hot. <laughs> My charge is too hot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyhow, I, re I remember just holding on and just listening to songs as long as I could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I, don't, I don't know if it really helped me. I think it was more practice than it was anything else, but why not try to charge it up a little bit, right? Hey, it's, you know, whether it works in the physical universe or it works in belief, it works. Absolutely. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done crazier shit than that. Mm. Well, oh, at man. least I didn't have to hook them to my nipples. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was pretty happy about so that. So the TENS machine, you just hold on to it. Well, I, I, you know, I honestly, I've never seen it. Now, they are selling TENS machines now. TANS. TANS machine? TENS. TENS. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm I, so interested in this right now. I'm getting so, one. Well, yeah, yeah, so anyhow, it's just a... I think they're they're selling those. You can buy them, but I think they're probably pretty expensive, if I remember right. And that's been a long time since I actually researched that because it's like, yeah, right. You know, when you get as old as I am, you already know enough. You know, so. <laughs> is that right? No, <laughs> that's not right. We just don't care as much about remembering the whole thing. Uh, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I I I've developed a good habit for remembering songs. You know what I mean? Just just a good habit. And, does it get harder the bigger the catalog you have? Yeah, no, it. I don't think it really gets. It gets. It, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes. Um, uh, Charlie Hinkle, a good friend of mine, um, uh, we wrote yeah. hundreds of songs. Charlie's together. awesome. He it, started the the elementary school my daughter goes to. Yeah, yeah. That's the integrated art school. Oh yeah, he's Dude, he's genius, brilliant. He yeah. is. He really is. I mean, he was just over at house um, day before yesterday and. We were working through some things, and he pulled up a song that we had written a long time ago. And it's so funny because that'll trigger things in your head, you know what I mean? And it's like, so the first thing came out, first little bit of the lick that he played, I was like, oh, I know what this is. And so I remember the first verse, and 
then the second verse was like, no, where's it at? And then all of a sudden, here it comes too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in the chord progressions, it's like on the guitar, it seems like I never really, really falter a whole lot on that, you know? I, but when it comes to lyrics, lyrics sometimes are the things that can escape you pretty easily. Oh, yeah. So uh, at one time I had a, I, I don't know, I had two folders that were just packed full of lyrics. And uh, I would like to find those. Yeah, they're around, but they're lost. Yeah, they're they're around somewhere, but they're lost. Yeah. Huh. So that'd be cool to find. Yeah, I forgot that you guys made music together. Oh yeah, that's awesome. We played in a band called Buffalo, and, and Buffalo was really a good band. It was a good band. I mean, we played primarily. It was all instrumental music at a time when instrument or not instrumental. It was all original music. Uh -huh. And that was at a time when it was like, man, you don't dare try to go in some place and play original music. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. But we did, and we did well. So good. I, I, I liked it. I loved the band. Good. So, what other bands have you played with? Oh well, you mean as far as my own personal bands? It's in general, um, what is your favorite? Your favorite stuff you've done? Well, of course, my favorite stuff is playing with my sons. That's that's my favorite. I, I loved a, a band I was in called WLRS, which was right before that, right. and that was with uh, Sammy and James Lightsey and um, and. Uh, I Ethan. remember that you had that hot white electric guitar. Oh yeah, you just tore it up. Yeah. It was good. I I love that guitar. That, that guitar is about twenty. Wasn't ninety? I think ninety four is when I bought that. Really? Yeah, and it was the first run of those those Jam Seven Vs. So. It's cool guitar. Yeah. Well, you make it sound good anyway. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love it. it. It plays great. It's done great. I haven't even had to refret that. Really? Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's not that they're stainless, but it's just the touch on it is very, is very much me. So it's, it's, it's a light touch. You don't have to hit anything real hard with it. And um, so it's just, it's proved very well. I've got a bunch of guitars that I'm actually getting ready to sell a, a custom, um, Gibson Custom ES356 that I bought, and I probably didn't play that thing, but maybe one time. And I've got another Groon Special uh, Limited Edition um, chambered um, guitar. It's uh, it's the Gibson um, Les Paul. Really? I mean, it's beautiful. It weighs seven pounds, eight ounces. That's a Les Paul, which is unbelievably light. Yeah, and so, I love the Les Paul, too. Oh, I do too. I, I, I like it, but I've always been more of a person. I, I like the Ibanez guitars I play. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I just, those just fit me, if that makes sense. They, yeah, for sure. You know, they're, they're, they're the guitar. I love the neck. I love the way they feel. Uh, I love the ability to, to change that tone and stuff like that so quick. So it's like I can get any sound out of that that I can get out of any other guitar that would be specifically that sound. Yeah, if I that understand. Makes sense. It, it does. I, uh, I just got a, my dream guitar, acoustic uh, Gibson Hummingbird, which I love. I love. But, you know, I've, it's interesting because there are better acoustic guitars. Mm. So, you know, I try out the Taylors and the and different stuff and I'm like, okay, like I understand that these are better in certain ways supposedly, yeah. but it's just this is the guitar that sounds right to me. It feels right to me. You know what I mean? It's just it doesn't 
It's is, a is personal it, it's thing. Better to who, you know. Yeah. Uh, once you get to such good quality guitars, I think it's just a yeah. sort of a preference thing. They're all good. <laughs> Well, it is. It really is. I mean, I, I remember one time making fun of it because I, I, some guy walked in and he was he was looking at, at my breed loves, and that was when, when I really sold the really top of line breed love guitars, mm. and uh, you know I'm a tailor man. I'm like okay, <laughs> so I never will forget. I sat down in my in my studio. I want to be like everyone else and buy myself a tailor. I want to be like everyone else and buy myself a tailor. Can't sing and can't play, but I got myself a tailor. Yeah. And that's no offense. Taylor does make some great guitars. And it's so yeah, great. for sure. But it's silly to follow it like a cult. Pick your favorite guitar. Right? Absolutely. You yeah. Know, it's not going to make you play like John Mayer. Yeah, or James Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, James Taylor, his guitars, I can't remember the guy's name, but to get on his list to have him build a guitar for you. He builds guitars. No, James doesn't. Oh, I... But the guy he gets them from. Oh, right, okay. You have to pay $5,000 down. To get on the list? To get on the Hopefully list. Hopefully it goes towards the guitar. Well, I'm sure it, it probably will, but, I mean, you're going to be paying twenty to $30,000 for that guitar. Yeah. Well, it's good branding. Good for them. If James Taylor plays an acoustic, you better bet you that's a good one. Yeah, I'm sure they, they all are good. Yeah. A guy like that put his name on it. I bet he makes sure they're pretty good. Yeah. That's cool. So we have Buffalo, WLRS. Yeah. Hammer. Hammer. Hammer was a, was a, was a fun band. I, I mean, I loved that. And it had many different people in it. Um, and that was when I had, I had left... Um, I had left my part-time job at Delco. I was just, I'd work 11 months, 12 months, and be laid off, you know, with this or that. I was like, and I'd get a band together. We'd get six months bookings out in a row, and they'd get called back to work on second shift. And it was like, you know, I'm tired of being a responsible human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, I'm glad you said that. If you don't mind, I'll interrupt you. Like, there, believe it or not, there's a, a kind of a format to, to this podcast. I don't stick to it very closely. But the idea is that um, there are people that have this entrepreneurial spirit, like you do. And they, t they do something in their life at some point where they just decide to say, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Um, was that the moment for you when you, when you left... Uh, was it GM Delphi Delco? Well, it, it, it wasn't Delphi yet. It was it was still Delco. And Delco. So you were doing both Delco and music. Yeah. So you were punching the card, doing <clears throat> production, right, and creating art at the same time, right. And it, that was difficult because I mean there was times when um, we would play. I mean I played in everything. A band called Smithsonian Institute. Um, we had we had many different names. You know what I mean. That way we could fit into wherever we needed to, whether it was a, a college event um, or a nightclub. I see, yeah. And, and so, I mean, our repertoire was huge, okay? So uh, everything from Johnny Mathis to uh, the Doobie Brothers to uh, Iron Maiden, you know oh, what nice. I mean? It just, it was crazy how many different styles of music we would play, but our agent didn't have that many people that he could book that many bands so he would say this name okay that name that name oh okay well i've heard of that band before you know so it'd be something that would be common with somebody else i see you know what i mean something yeah. like instead of smithsonian institution it's smithsonian institute 
you know. So things like that kind of kind of worked out real well, and I liked it. I really enjoyed playing with that Dave Trueblood and Danny Dane and, and Charlie Hinkle was in there too, and and it was just just some great people, you know. And and I just Dave has passed away, and, and I just think the world of him. He was he was a good man, um, lots of charisma, you know. And yeah, he, he, you know, he really had it. Um, and I, I kind of forget where we were going with this conversation, but well, at some point you had to oh, decide yeah. I'm going to stop working for the man. Right. What was that like? Well, it, it was it was a little bit frightening in some ways, you know, because sure. it was like I have responsibilities that I need to take care of, but I know I know deep down inside I can do this, and, and I just knew I could do it. The only problem was that every time I would get a good band and get booked, uh, get shows booked out, I would get called back to work. And it just would interfere. I mean, there was times when we would come back from a show and they would let me off, drop me off in front of the gate where I went into work. Mm. And I would go in and work my eight-hour shift, get off, go home, take a quick nap, take a shower, then sleep on the way back. To, to the next gig, you know, the next the next day, <clears throat> and that really took a toll on me. But I knew there was money to be made. Sure. And the problem with it was that people, well, you know, get a real job. Right. Yeah. The pressure. It, yeah, oh, and, and, yeah. And people just don't think that they don't see that. You know, I mean, two of my two of the most wonderful guys. I mean, I've actually done a couple of albums with them and stuff. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't give up what they were doing, and I understood that. So I surrounded myself with some young people who were ready to go, and uh, we rehearsed. And I mean, two months later, we were playing. Nice. You know? How old were you, roughly? Well, I was, I was, uh, I think, 31 or 32. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I was still pretty young, Mm -hmm. and it was like, but they were real young, you know what I mean? Just barely eight drinking age but they weren't tied down to anything they weren't married you know they were they just wanted to play and they did and they they were good musicians and so we looked at i looked at what the what the whole thing was as far as how do we book into these things here you know i went and got an agent basic philosophy here for people you know business is business so if you want to make a hundred percent of two hundred dollars don't get an agent if you want to make right. 80% of $2,000, get an agent, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a no-brainer. But people don't think like, they don't want to think like that. And I, it's because we're so restricted in society. Well, oh, you, you can't do that, you know? I mean, it's impossible to make it. But there's so much music where you can actually profit and benefit from it that you don't even ever have to go play anywhere. I mean, commercials, uh, just, it's amazing what you can do. Songwriter, you can send stuff away. All you yeah. need, you get one top 40 song, you don't ever have to work again. Yeah, and it, I think you're right. And I, I don't know how to say this, but most people don't think they have what it takes to be something special. Mm. But so far in my life, what I've discovered is pretty much everybody I've ever met does. And the I've had the opportunity to meet extremely successful people in yeah. lots of different areas just because of my 
the things I've done for work. And the other thing I've noticed is none of them are any more special than anyone else. Absolutely. Except they, they have a few differences. And one of them is they, they believe in themselves. Yeah. Usually, in yeah. some way. Whether it be blind arrogance or they actually just yeah. believe in themselves in a healthy way. It's, so I think just getting people to have a bigger vision of themselves is what a lot of people say. Absolutely. I think that's it. And, and a good example, the reason I brought it up and interrupted you was, um, oh, how about that Oliver Anthony kid? Uh, Chris, um, oh, Richmond, Richmond, north of Richmond. Have you, have you seen this yet? No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. It's just this kid. Well, he's not a kid. He's a man, but he's a young man. He was, like, doing terrible in life, just living in a trailer broke and alcoholic and... Life's going terrible for him in every way you can imagine, like it does for all of us at some point. <clears throat> and uh, he just writes some music. He stands up out in the woods with a, just a condenser mic and his acoustic and his dog's laying there and just records this song, and it hits home with everybody. Mm. It's a sensation. I mean, it's like 100 million views. Wow. On, like, in a, in a few weeks. It's incredible. It's a really good song. But... Um, he had, he's a good example because like the, a few weeks before that he was, you know, considering giving up. Oh, wow. He, but the whole time he had this incredible talent. Yeah. So, you know, everybody now, you know, when somebody's talking about it and they're about to give up, I think, how do you know you don't have something special? It just, it's so interesting to me. Wow. That's a, that's a good story, and and I mean I I believe that I've seen that a lot in my life. People that they just don't have faith in themselves, and you know you can you can try to instill that in them, and you can do everything you can within reason to try to help them understand what they can do and what they can't do. Um, typically, I focus on what they can do, and. Um, <clears throat> It, that's just, why why shouldn't we do that for everybody? Why shouldn't we do that for our neighbor? Why shouldn't we do that for the person who's walking down the street? We don't know what anybody else has been through in their life and what their baggage is they're carrying. You know, all yeah. we can do sometimes is just pick up a couple of the bags and relieve their load a little bit, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Yeah, that's also probably, I, I try to remind myself, it's why it's great to be positive. Yeah. I know everybody says that, but I mean, actually doing something about it, like when you see something awesome, make sure you tell that person. Absolutely. Like, because there's plenty of people going around telling everybody how they screw up. Yeah. Everybody will tell you when you screw up. <laughs> Nobody's afraid to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but you do something good, man. It's hard for people to to say it. And that's, it's a great practice. You know, I wonder why that is, though. I mean, because that, that's an easy effort for you. It's an easy, it, it, well, it isn't even an effort for you, and it's not an effort for me. It's one of those things where I think you just do it because it's, it's, an, uh, it's inside your character, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I do have to push myself to remember to do it. I don't know what it is. Mm. I think it probably is harder for some people. I don't understand that mechanism, but I think everybody could do it. No, I think they could too. It would be a wonderful world. Yeah, why not? What else? What else are we gonna do while we're here? Let's start a movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> it does remind me of a, a funny story, if, if you'll indulge me for a second. I was really young, and I was a, a manager of a retail store, and I had a boss tell me how I'm too skeptical and too hard on people and stuff. Um, but anyway, he had me spend an entire day where I could only say something if it were positive and encouraging. An entire day. Wow. It was such an interesting experiment for a young, when I was a young person that I've used that um, on employees many times since. And I try to use it on myself sometimes too. It has interesting effects, not just on people around you, but on yourself. You know, you actually start to feel positive after a few hours. Well, I can see that. That's, that's yeah. great. I it's, think that's brilliant. Yeah, I didn't think of it, but I like sharing it because it's yeah. a great practice. If your life's going miserable right now, try that. Just spend yeah. a whole day and don't even let yourself say anything negative yeah. to anyone else. If your life's going miserable, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, you, you know, so. You're living in the wrong place, and it, it, that is inside of you. I mean, like the wrong state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, uh, I mean, I was born in Tennessee. I mean, we were poor; we couldn't pay attention, but I was happy, you know. And it wasn't about having things; it wasn't about recognition. It was about just enjoying what it was. I remember watching, because uh, I mean, of course, we lived on one hill and went over to another one. And I remember watching, and it was Dr. Pinkley's field. And um, he had a wheat field. And, you know, it's on the side of a, a nice slope, sloping hill. And I remember I just used to get such a wonderful feeling just sitting out there and watching the wind blow over that wheat. Mm. You know, like, mm -hmm. like watching the waves of an ocean. And, of course, I hadn't seen the ocean. <laughs> right. Yeah. But to me, it was, it was just so magic. You know, so magical. And I think that's, that's the thing that realizing where you came from and what you had one thing you had was happiness and then all the other stuff that comes along after that regardless of how successful you are the only thing that matters is that happiness that's right yeah things complicate stuff yeah they do it's interesting it's an interesting um <clears throat> paradox that we think things are going to make us happy yeah but it's only the things only make it harder to be happy yeah I think sometimes too, what comes out your mouth makes things worse or make, makes things better. Yeah. You know, because I, I wrote a song called Metal Guitar Blues when I was 19 years old. I was in the upstairs apartment, Dave Landrum. Dave Landrum's a professor in Pennsylvania now. He's a great guy, great musician. I just think the world of him. But I was sitting up there and, and the song is very, very simple as far as the chord progression goes. Um, but, um, uh, you know, something soft with meaning, sounds that will brighten my mood. Nothing's heard through key holds, metal guitar blues, right? Listen to the clear crystal tone the guitar makes simultaneously, each note with its own song, spreading out with the rhythm of stars, then on into eternity. And not too long ago, I heard some physicists and people who were talking about that, that that sound continues to go on. Everything we produce goes on forever. Well, I didn't know that when I was 19. I didn't know it until I, you know, it was one of those things where I just imagined that that's the way it is. So the words that you say 
are the words that I think that you live by. And they're the things that dictate what your life is going to be like over and over and over again. I agree 100%. I call it, um, I say your, your thoughts and your words are your instructions that you're giving yourself. Yeah. Like a, my wife calls that uh, spell casting. She says everything you say is a spell. That you're, if you're talking, you know, you're casting it on yourself. Well, well, lots of different ways of talking about the same thing, but I think it's very, very true. I think it is too. Yeah, I've, there's some people who actually scrape their tongues as a ritual and remind themselves to keep bad things out of their mouth because it basically it poisons them. Oh wow! Yeah, as a person, yeah. I don't know anything about the history of that. I just recently came across it. And I plan on researching. That's interesting. I think my wife told me about it. Yeah. Well, I've never heard about that, but I mean, I think that you need, you definitely do need to clean up some things that you think and say, you know, if if you worry about not having enough, you're not going to have enough. You're just not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you, if you just, you're a magnet. (laughs) Yeah. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, you start thinking down that road long enough and you can really start to see why people, when things were more, were a little older, more complicated, why people just put so much of their thoughts on worship and stuff. Yeah. Like, at some point, you're like, man, this is so much responsibility. Yeah. I need somebody else to, to tell me what to think and do and say <laughs> the, the right thing, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Crazy. But... um is in, it's enlightening and uplifting as that is. I have some not enlightening questions I want to ask you. Okay. What's the craziest shit that's ever happened to you playing? <laughs> I've been on the road a little bit. I know. Oh, Lord. That you have better stories than me. <laughs> you started earlier than me, too. Well, yeah. time, times were a little bit more wild oh, in the yeah. 80s, right? 80s. Oh, yeah. You well, no, I actually 70s? started playing in, in the 60s. No shit. Well, I'm going to be 73. Wow, you look good for 73. Well, thank you. I, I feel good for 73. Good. I, I, when I look in the mirror, I don't know who it is, but I feel pretty good. Yeah, I still, you're still the young, the young Gary Rum on the inside? On the inside, I, you know, all it, the, the wonder. Yeah, that's great. You are a very curious, like, inspired person. I like that about you. Well, it feels good. It feels good. You can certainly run into 73-year-olds that have just become bitter and rigid. Well. I'm afraid that's going to happen to me, by the way. But. No, I, I don't think so. I, 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 can't, I can't see you doing that. I just I can't see you doing that. I'm not going to say you're going to do that. Okay. Fair enough. But how do you do it? How do you stay so curious and inspired? Well, first of all, I have, um, I have many children. <laughs> but uh, as far as the craziest thing, you know, I mean, there is no way I could I could sit here and tell you just story after story. But there, there is never a, a place that you go to play where there isn't something that's goofy. I remember one time, uh, um, which story? I mean, there's like they're just running through my head right now. We need to just have a whole series of podcasts. Gary, Gary Rum, Crazy Stories, oh. Part 1, <laughs> 60s, Part 2, yeah. 70s. 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, just there's there's been so many times and so many opportunities, I guess, you know, to have. I remember one time we went and played in Jackson, Michigan. <laughs> we were playing all the time, and we depended on the money every time we played. You know, we got paid at the end sure. of the week. You, you, you know, that's that's the way it was. And um, so we're, we're, we get done, we get wrapped up doing it. And I love playing in Michigan. I love Michigan anyhow. But um, uh, so I go back to the bar manager, and I said, hey, uh, uh, we're, we're about to finish loading up now. I want to go ahead and get paid. He says, well, I'm sorry. I said, what do you mean you're sorry? He says, well, I can't pay you. I said, well, why can't you pay me? No. You know, he says, well, the guy who owns the place and signs all the checks has to do it through his accountant because he's in prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, that's a, it's a great excuse. Well, I, I, I'm like, you know, that's not my contract. My contract yeah. is you're supposed to it's pay not me your tonight. problem. Yeah. And he says, well, he says, there's, there's just nothing I can do about it. I said, you better open up your till and find out what you can do about it. Because mm-hmm. I, I knew he made enough money. I mean, sure, you brought him all the people. Yeah. And so, anyhow, uh, we ended up getting the money, but it was it was close because we had to, had to have uh, our guy, we called him Chewy. Low like Chewbacca. So yeah. So he was probably he, big he, and scary. Yeah, he was yeah, <laughs> um, former... Uh, uh, Navy SEAL. Oh, God. And so he was, he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But uh, so when you have somebody backing you up like that, you're okay. Um, yeah. That was. He, he played with you or just. Two, no, he no. was our light man. Okay. He was our light man. What a great light man. Oh, he no could kid. also kill everybody in the building. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, he only hit one person ever that I ever seen. And the guy was just being really belligerent. He was giving mm. the bouncers a hard time. And, uh, so he went over to try to calm him down a little bit. Guy wouldn't calm him down. He started swinging him, and he just, I just, this flick with his hand, and just the guy just deadly <sighs> accurate. Yeah, he just goes down like like a sack of flour, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, did well you practiced. Kill him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't kill him, but he's going to wake up with a real bad headache. <laughs> <laughs> so. So did you use him to intimidate the guy to get some? Well, we, we, we had to do something because yeah. there was no way we could do that oh, without getting paid. Yeah. yeah. At that point, yeah. it's your money. Yeah. And so um, he, he, he paid us. Good. But he had to call the accountant. And the accountant said, go ahead. Pay him. Go ahead and pay him. Because the guy's really, he said, the guy's really not going to take no for an answer. And I wasn't. Good. You know? Good for you. Um, Sometimes uh, musicians really get taken advantage of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I played in Detroit when I was really young, and I saw that happening a lot. Yeah, there was like group organized groups that would suck in bands and put on huge shows and steal all the money. Well, you know, and I mean that still goes on no matter where you're at. Does it? You know, I mean, um, I, I I don't like battle of the bands and stuff like that. Is that a brand or just the idea? Well, of the, the idea of it. I mean, That's it used open. to be back in the 60s and 70s, they would have battles at the bands. Mm-hmm. And so what would happen is you would go in, and your band would go in and play a few songs, and a few other bands would go in and play a few songs, and people would vote for you by putting money into the till, you know, and this and that, and they'd pay money to get in. And then at the end of the night, you got you either... You won, you didn't win, you placed, you did whatever. Yeah. And the only people who made money were the people who put the show on. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was the biggest challenge for me when it came to it here in Kogmo because I had played so many places and I knew there was a lot of money to be made, a lot of money to be made. Yeah, people love music. They'll pay yeah. for it. Yeah, but you have to have that respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, profit is without honor in his own land. Okay? So just getting somebody to pay you in Kokomo was like, oh, we don't really do that. You know, do this. And like charity events, you want you want to have a charity event. So they call you up and say, hey, you know, uh, we're doing this charitable event. We'd like for you to come and play for it. My answer to that is this. 99% of the musicians in this world live below the poverty level. And yet you want them to give up their Saturday, Friday, whatever day to come in and play for you to make money to be a charitable organization for a charitable organization. Right, yeah. And yeah. you don't look at the It's work. like asking a homeless man to build a house for somebody. Yeah. And 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 that's and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean there's, right. there's no just the 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 um the cultural understanding of musicians yeah. could use some improvement for sure. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you see people who never get out and make it, that are very capable of being incredible oh, musicians. It, it definitely makes you want to quit, quit pretty easy. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you make money at it? And parents see that too, you know. Yeah. Um, I, and also creative types aren't always business types. And no. you gotta, you got to do both, or you have to figure out, get people on your team to do the business part like you said hire an agent absolutely yeah i remember that from the small time i worked in the music industry i was like this is so weird like the whole business side of it and then you try to you're trying to make art yeah yeah and and negotiate how much it's worth (laughs) to somebody that's so weird (laughs) oh it it, it is but it's like this i mean your 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 time is valuable Mm -hmm. i mean that's the only thing that we have yeah is time yeah, and it's not the two hours you're playing. It's no. the 2,000 hours it took you to develop the ability to do that. Absolutely. Minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, most people, they look at the 10,000-hour rule, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like people just, they to have that respect for the musician because most of the time, eh, you know, that's so and so many days. He's not ever going to amount to anything. All he wants to do is sit around and play guitar, you know. And it's like... That's the wrong attitude, and, and we we need people to do that. And, and I um, I remember talking, you know, and it was really good because uh, Greg, uh, the former mayor, he was he understood that. He really got what I was talking about when it came to that. Him and Randy, and they, you know, so they they paid me, you know, and they paid other musicians. I I, I liked that a lot. Um, but then I've seen some things where other people who were in charge of doing things, <clears throat> they'll get people that have steady jobs. You know what I mean? They just want to play for the recognition of it. Yeah. You know, and so what they do is they, and I don't mean, I don't want to sound cruel, but they'll go and play and they take away the opportunity to, for the musician who really works at it. Sure. That that's his job. But yet, if we were to cross a picket line, what would happen? That's right. You know. Yeah, musicians as a group are responsible for their own fate. The, the fact that there are so many musicians that are willing to play for nothing, then their intentions aren't always dishonorable. They're not no. trying to ruin jobs for people. They just they want people to hear their music. Right, 
Right. But it doesn't but change the fact that it does ruin it. It, it hurts it. it. It really does hurt it because... Yeah. But that's where you have to just, you know, you, you look at places like Cincinnati and, um, you know, I remember playing over there and uh, even in the 80s, there was 151 nightclubs you could play at over wow. there. Wow. In one city. In Cincinnati? Yeah. What, when was this? It was back in... You think it's still like that? About to go to Cincinnati. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, think about it. There's just so many places to play. It's like, um, you know, I remember playing. My favorite favorite way to play was when I just did it solo. I I love doing that. I got to play more shows than you could ever imagine. That's another funny thing. You want to hear a funny thing? Yes. First time, I'm, I'm working with Anvil Productions. Okay. And uh, he is also uh, the editor of Performance Magazine. <clears throat> so he had me and another band called 15 Minutes, and we played for the pre-MTV show awards in nice. New York, okay? And, uh, on the, and I got to play on the same stage as Bob Dylan, and so many people had been there oh, before. That's cool. I was so honored to do that. But I never will forget, we, we get there, and they gave me a limo and the whole nine yards. I mean, it was like, whoa, dude, yeah. I'm doing something pretty cool here, you know? Right. And uh, so the limo came. I had two 412 cabinets. I took everything I had. I mean, it was just, that's what I did, you know? In the limo? Uh, well, yeah. They put, it in, they put <laughs> yes. it in the trunk of the limo. I mean, it was huge. That's a big and then, trunk. <laughs> then there were some other things we had to put in the front. But, I mean, it was a stretch, so we, we were able to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we go in. Of course, they had the PA system and everything there. And when we pulled up out front, okay, and this is just when I had started doing that. When we had pulled up out front, there was a bunch of guys sitting, you know, along the sidewalk, you know, up against the building and stuff. And, and uh, a lot of them were homeless and everything like that. One guy comes up to me and says, hey, man, give me $50. That's like, a lot. I'm like, what? <laughs> For now, that's a lot. Back then, that's a tremendous oh, amount. Oh, yeah. He said, give me $50. I said, man, I ain't got $50. He said, you kidding me. You're in limousine. You're rich. You better give me 50 bucks. I oh, was in New York, right? <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. dude, I can't, can't do that. I just I don't have it. Sure. <laughs> but that was crazy. I never forget another time some woman, some old woman, we were playing for this this company. And, I mean, she must have been... I mean, she was old, and uh, she didn't like our music, which is okay. But she came up and got right in my oh. I hate your music. I hate you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, we, we just kept on. So a little bit later, we were done, and I needed to run to the restroom, so I go out into the hallway. And I hate to say this. But that little old lady was laying in the floor. Well, I mean, she was drunk as a skunk. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. She was laying in the floor. And I thought, just walk over her. Don't do anything. Just walk over her. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to walk over her so bad. And I couldn't. So I reached down and said, are you okay? I don't like your music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sticking to it. (laughs) So I'm like, well, have a good nap. (laughs) And walked on. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, Sometimes sometimes people get rowdy, don't they? Oh, they do. They do. They do. 
Yeah. That's that's what makes it interesting. It is. One more story. Keep, keep them coming. This is, this is funny. We were playing, and this was, uh, uh, this was with Hammer Band. We were playing this club. In, what decade? Uh, this was in 80s. Okay. okay. Oh, shit, 80s. And um, so we were playing, um, and it had snowed. It was a blizzard. Okay, kind of. Well, we're there. We're going to play. So Here in the Midwest? Yeah, it was in the Midwest. Okay. okay. So there's a few people who came in, all right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one, one guy was with a couple other guys, and they were all band musician, or musician types. And they, um, <clears throat> the one guy came up to me and says, hey, man, let me sit in with you and play drums. And I said, dude, I, I, they aren't my drums. I can't do that, and we typically don't do that. Sure. And he says, oh, come on, let me play. I said, I'm not going to let you play anything. I said, it's not my drums. Not up to me, right? Yeah. So he goes and he asks Brian, hey, got to play your drums, play a song? And Brian said, I guess, sure. You know, Brian's an easygoing guy. Yeah. <clears throat> so the guy gets up there and, and uh, I'm like, what is it you want to play? Uh, uh, let's see, what is it? One life, I want to live it up. Um, I can't remember the name of the song, but I remember the song. And so we start to play it, and he drops a drumstick. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) (laughs) So he picked up the drumstick, and I looked at Scotty, and I'm thinking, this is not going to happen, okay? So we start to play again, and he dropped it. I said, get off the stage. Just get off now. Mm. Get off the stage. By the way, that was one of the clubs where I actually carried a gun in the back of my amp. Oh, yeah, I used to do that. Yeah, okay. For sure. And I so, played in Detroit. So. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. So anyhow, he goes back out. You can see him and his buddies are kind of mouthing off. Well, our bass player was a huge, is a huge Rush fan. He loved Getty yeah. Lee. I think that's a bass player thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're playing. Now, he's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Your bass player. Yeah, big boy. Okay, and I mean, he's not, he's just a big boy. Strong, muscular. And uh, all of a sudden, I look over, I hear the bass part fall out. He's not playing. I look at him, he goes, I'll be right back. He had set his bass guitar down. He went out. One of the guys out there that was with the drummer that wanted to play was saying, Rush sucks. Oh, you suck. <laughs> he couldn't handle it, huh? That was the only <laughs> bar fight I ever got into in my life. Oh, shit. <laughs> but it was like all hell broke loose. Nice. You know? And um, yeah, that was the only fight I ever had in a club. <laughs> yeah. Ever, ever. Yeah. It, so I was like... <laughs> you played all those years in clubs, and that's the only one? You did that pretty was, good. Yeah. It, you, we were a good band. That's, you know? That says it. Yeah, we keep were people good. interested. And uh, <laughs> I thought there was one other time, and this was the first time we played in Kalamazoo, Michigan, too, at Peppers, and I, that ended up being my favorite club. We go up there, and, and uh, we start playing, and the first song we would open up with was Bark at the Moon by Ozzy. Yeah. Okay, and it would start out, and uh, our sound man had a recording studio and stuff, too, and he had uh, set it up to where it was... Um, uh, it gave us this big intro, you know, and like crickets and stuff like that, you know, going on. And 
a great PA, great sound man. That's cool. That was hard to do back then too. You oh, couldn't yeah. just pull out your MacBook and knock it, it no, out real quick. <laughs> you had to, it was taped. Yeah, it was taped. Cut and so, taped together. <clears throat> oh yeah. So um, anyhow, we started playing, and here's this guy. Okay, very militant-looking fellow. Okay, had on the, the army boots, pants tucked in, stuff like that. Army jacket had. Uh, he wore that to a show. Oh yeah, oh, eyeliner. Man. Oh man, that I went, I know went that around guy. like this. <laughs> okay, I mean, just just crazy. And so we start playing, and he's like, "Whoa!" And he gets up and he starts marching in front of us. He's really militant, and he comes <laughs> up to me and he goes. He turned around. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, comes back, dances around a little bit more, comes back. Marshall. This sounds like the beginning of the punk scene. <laughs> Did you start punk? <laughs> I know. I didn't start punk. But it was so funny because when we got done, I, I thought to myself, if that guy does that to me again, I'm just going to kick him. I'm just going to kick him in the face. He'd probably love it, right? <laughs> he loved the band and the manager of the place okay who was a young man just just a cool dude he says gary he says that guy's going to bring more customers in for you than you'll ever know really and i'm not kidding you from that night forward always every time we played in peppers you could not walk through that place yeah it's just it was great and it, but it was like <laughs> Dude, you don't do that to me. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but I'm I'm not much of a fighter, so I thought I'd, I better just stick with what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better to play music on an axe than yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's so, good. But you see, what, the stories can just keep. They, they they're do. Just, they're just crazy. Do you have like a favorite experience that wasn't like? Like funny, like the coolest thing that might have happened, like special guests or something. Oh or did you get, have you ever get invited to play with somebody that you really were excited to play with? Maybe something like that. Um, I mean, anytime anybody ever invited me, I always enjoyed that. Um, it's one of those things where it's like most of the bands I ever was around and exposed to, they did their thing. I remember Caravan of Thieves uh, being here, and and I got to play with them a couple of times. Um, Alex Skolnick and Joel Taylor. I remember sitting in my my office with Alex Skolnick and just playing guitar, nice, and uh, just enjoying it. And him, him he, just just a great guy. Um, and, and you probably got to meet quite a bit of yeah famous or soon-to-be famous people as long as you've been around that yeah. industry yeah just, that's always cool just from my short run and there was like i remember there was a handful of people in the same i think they called them marketing agencies at that point not mm -hmm. the agents mm -hmm. but they were like organizations that would bring people in. anyway there's a handful of them that ended up like becoming extremely popular i just remember thinking man it's pretty cool to have hung out with these people well yeah you know i mean that's, that probably happened to you a lot well, it did. I met a lot. I got to meet a lot of musicians, up-and-coming musicians that ended up being phenomenal musicians, you know. And that that was always really, really fun for me. And to look back at it and to recall, you know what I mean? Sometimes even short, I remember sitting at, um, and um, we recorded at Jack Guilfoy's studio in Bloomington. And Jack Guilfoy was a tour drummer for Henry Mancini. Okay. Okay. Great studio. 
Um, and we went down there and recorded. And I remember going outside uh, to take a little bit of a break while they were doing something with the drums. And there was this guy out there, just real charismatic, just 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 full of life and full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's, and, and, that's what but, charisma means. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it was like, he was really cool. We, we laughed. We had fun stuff. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you, what do you, you know, are you, are you a musician too? He says, yeah, I'm a singer. He says, I'm more of a showman than I am a singer. So I said, do you play with any bands around here? Yeah, I played with a lot, you know, down around at Bloomington and stuff. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And I said, so what's your plans? And he said, well, I'm going to California next week. I said, okay, cool. This guy said, you got any any ideas? He said, well, yeah, I want to go out there and make it. Oh, shit. And I said, well, that's great. You know, that's great. Yeah. It was David Lee Roth. He did it. He did it. <laughs> that's he great, He did it, dude. and it was like, but he was just he was just really a cool guy, you know. Oh, just, definitely. Just I mean, a, I didn't know, but just from the videos and stuff, he just fun. It seemed like a party. Yeah, like a walking human party. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think he was. <laughs> I think he probably still is. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Yeah. He's got the longevity. Yeah, and that's you know that's what it takes. I think in this business, you know. Um, of, I don't know. There's just so many people. I got to meet Hendrix one time, and uh, that was in '66. Uh, Talk about Jimmy. Yeah. No way. Way. Wow. Oh, I think I saw a picture with you with somebody impossible, like Michael Jackson. Yes. You. You. I saw a picture just you and Michael Jackson. Yeah. Sharing like a conversation or yeah. something. Well, we would. That, that was uh, that was uh, an interesting situation right there too because uh, we. Um, uh, my son Corey is an incredible martial artist. I mean, he's just incredible. And he was he was about he was about twelve years old, and his uh, one of his teachers uh, happened to be had left and became one of the head of security for Michael Jackson. Okay, and so he had moved to California and stuff like that. Well, he liked my guitar playing really really well, liked my band and my music. And um, he gave Michael a copy of, of some of my music, and Michael wanted to meet me. And so they were playing at the at Wrigley um, uh, Field, Chicago. And um, so uh, we were invited to go up there. No way. Me and my family. Yeah. We went up there. Awesome, they, they put us up in, in uh, the Whitehall Hotel. Now, he was at the Ritz Carlton. And. Uh, from the 13th floor up was just his. So I got to meet his his manager, got to meet uh, Latoya and Janet and, was it Jermaine? I don't remember. I, yeah, I Tito watched the movie and, and everything, so I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but that was right after Eddie had played on uh, the song Jump, or oh. Jump, but on the Beat yeah. It. Okay. okay, so I could do a lot of the two-handed tapping and stuff like that and everything. Back so, then? Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, you know, it's one of those things where he was not... You know who I first seen do that? Who? Chad Atkins, again. Really? Watched him on the Johnny Carson show, the same show I was telling you about. About I thought that was a relatively new method of playing guitar. That's that's a long time ago. That was a long... I mean, that was, yeah, 60s. Wow. So anyhow, shows what I know. <laughs> and then not only that, but you had Randy Rhodes who was doing the same thing. 
Okay, but now Eddie had a totally different approach to it, and he really brought it to life. I mean, I can't. I mean, that was just Eddie cool. Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, I remember he, when that album came out. It changed things. Yeah. Oh I was yeah. Like, wait, guitars just—they don't sound like that normally. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just a brilliant. I, I know another time I was at another show and and he wore or he opened up for um, um, Ted Nugent. And Ted Nugent. I bet that was wild. It was wild because those are two wild people. Well, <laughs> yeah, especially Ted, but. Um, I love Ted Nugent. Oh, he's, I don't care what anybody says. Well, I don't care what he says. He's a wild man. He's a wild animal. Yeah, and he's <laughs> not afraid to let you know it. Yeah, people like get mad and cancel him on social media and stuff. I'm like, he is a wild animal. Yeah. Why are you surprised that he says crazy shit? Yeah. <laughs> Stop asking him questions. Yeah, don't, if you don't want to hear it, don't ask. <laughs> yeah. But so um, Eddie had done a sound check and... Uh, course ted listened to it and ted was like how do you get that sound he says can i play through your stuff you were and you were witness to this yeah oh my gosh that's incredible he said and eddie said yeah you can play through it give it give it a whirl you know he goes well he can't make it sound like eddie you know what i mean it sounds it's got a great sound great tone everything like that, but he doesn't sound like Eddie. And he could not understand the difference there, which I thought was kind of odd because I think any real good guitar, really, really excellent guitar player is going to know the most important thing that's going to produce your sound are your hands. Your hands. I've always tried to tell people, especially beginning guitar players, work with your guitar and your amp. Forget special effects, forget forget pedals, just forget about that now. Develop your hands. That's where you're going to get the most of your emotion, the most of the things out. Mm. Because effects, all they do is they enhance what your hands are doing. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, but uh, yeah, but Nugent wasn't very happy about that. He didn't. They didn't tour for very long together because Eddie is just a superior guitar player. Yeah, he shouldn't be opening for somebody. No. It, no. And it didn't take long for everybody to realize that. But man, the people that got to see that those shows wow. yeah, lucky for that it was real shows man I, I remember i remember first time i ever seen a, a, a laser light show and it was yes and it was at market square arena market square i remember market square yeah. cool and, uh, place it, it, it was in the in the round and yes oh my gosh those guys were so brilliant i mean just incredible players but i've seen these little things like they look like pellets of light that were just raining down it's like wow <laughs> how cool is that yeah of course to get a laser show like that in those days was you'd be talking 250 yeah. man to be around when that first started it would have been mind-blowing it was but you know those musicians were incredible musicians they didn't have pitch correction all the stuff to rely yeah. on. They didn't have computers backing them up. Yeah. You know, and the, there's something about that pure form of music. When it's when you're making it, to me, that's the most important thing you can have, is that, is that pure form of music. I think people are, people are into that 
again. Yeah. You know, I think we got so polished and digitized, and I'm not making this up. I heard other people say it, but I've noticed it after they said <laughs> it, that now kind of what's attracting people's ear is less perfect. Absolutely. Is more genuine, authentic mm-hmm. to real life. And I think to circle back to that all our Anth- Oliver Anthony example is that was the major thing about it. Just that you could hear the crickets and the wind blowing in his microphone. Yeah. And you could tell he hadn't practiced it 6,000 times. Yeah. But it was so good and so real. Not one bit of digital enhancement on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's people really on a deep level gravitate to that. Well, I think it, 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 going back to an earlier statement about perfection, you know, that's, that's something to dream about. It's something to work towards. But perfection to me is being able to accept the fact that, wow, well, you know what? I'm not going to get that any better than that. It's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. Yeah, the best I can do. Yeah. That's great. Man. That's a crazy story. Met Michael Jackson and saw Eddie Van Halen and Ted Nugent. Like sound checking and stuff. A lot of cool stuff in this world. A lot of cool stuff. You just got to get out and get in it and and, um, just be a part of it. You know what I mean? I think. That may be the best advice I've ever heard. It's not going to go like you expect, right? You just got to go get out in it and see what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Is that like, is that your secret? Well, yeah, I I, I think I'm not a planner. I've never been a planner. But I always know it's going to work, if that makes any sense. It's just this this thing inside. I don't think about it being a gut feeling. I don't think about, I don't rely on this. I don't rely on that, you know. It's just this is what I'm going to do. And I think, you know, I always told people in, in, in the bands and stuff, and, and I've told my, my kids this too, any idea is usually a good idea. It's how much effort you want to put into making that idea come true. And that's the hard part for people, I think. You know what I mean? It's like, how much effort do you want to put in on that? And I mean, it's yeah. like, like if I want to write a song and I want to have, I want it to go uh, three eight to to seven eight to thirty uh, second notes. You know what I mean? What good does that do? I can't get anybody to groove to it. You know, I can't. I don't. It's something I have to work really hard at to do all those time changes and stuff like that, and. It's like, that doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to me is, does this feel good? Where does it feel good at? And then a lot of times you write things. I remember working with a, a, a lady who was, uh, she came over one time and, and uh, she was from IU. And she was a geologist. She taught geology, but she also uh, had a, a degree in music. So she was really a rock musician. <laughs> it took me a second. <laughs> but oh, dad joke of the year. Well, <laughs> that was that's such a good one. That's well, true. I, I, it, but I mean, that's the way she introduced herself. So she was a theoretical expert in theory. 
Right. So music theory. I started playing this song called Mountain Man, which is it, it's it's a different kind of a feel, you know. I mean, it's about a giant rock. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, it's a mountain, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, it, it, the, the actual. So I'll, I'll get to that if you want. But uh, so I'm playing it, and it's just six eight, you know. Yeah. One, two, that's a groove. Three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, yeah. six. But because I'm doing hammer-ons and stuff like that to make that work the way I want to to get the, the melody across, she's like, "What? What's your time signatures?" I said, "What?" She said, "What's your time signatures? I can't figure it out." I said, "It's just six eight. Oh, she was reading too much into it. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was trying to make it so complicated. Yeah. And it was like no. And we were talking. My son and I were talking about. You know, even even a three four song is still in four four. Do you ever think about it like that? Depending on how you math it, right? How you right. break up the meter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I never thought of that. But so I mean it's all this stuff is put on emphasis sometimes with really good musicians, really yeah. good musicians. They're looking for that look at this, look what I can do. That is a struggle for writing songs. When you start to get good at it, yeah. you start to craft it and sort of forget that it's not about the mechanics of your song. It's about the feeling. You should be working on the feeling. Yeah. Because that's all anybody cares that's listening Absolutely. to it. Because that's what they're going to get. They're yeah. not going to get the musical part of it unless it's yeah. like some other musician who is yeah. very no, well versed. Yeah. Nobody listens to a song that makes them, you know, yeah. this makes me feel terrible, but the time signatures, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, I I love bands that that do that. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of bands that do that. Tool, you know, and then you you think about... Some people do both. Yeah. Tool's a great example. Yeah, and they are. They really are. What is happening with Tool? That is crazy. So, but the the thing is, is that sometimes it's just such an emphasis put on that that people end up not being able to ever do anything. They don't accomplish anything because they're not satisfied. Yeah. And the thing is, is that... My best songs that I ever write usually come to me there. It's there. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like... I do know what you mean. I actually had a friend help me out with my song songwriting and told me this super obvious secret that you just said it in your own way, but like you think your greatest songs would be difficult for you to play. That's sort of what you instinctually think. Yeah. That thought is completely wrong. Yeah. The Your best stuff is going to seem way easy to you. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff you're not even going to have to try to Absolutely. play because it's your most natural. When I heard that, I was like, oh, shit, that makes sense. And that's why every great songwriter in history's greatest songs, they always say the same thing. Well, I just wrote that one in five minutes. Absolutely. But, I mean, they've been writing it their whole life on the inside. Right. But it was it came out so easy for them. The songs that they sat down and had to bang out for months on end were not their number one. Yeah. I think, I think you can go back and revisit songs. Sure. You know, things that, that you've not really, really put out a whole lot of, you can revisit those. And sometimes it's like those first lyrics, you know, there might be one little line in there that just kind of irritates you. You just don't like that. Yeah. But then all of a sudden it's like all of a sudden, Oh, this is what I want to put in there, you know? And so you can revisit that. But when it comes to the complexity of the song, Everybody wants to sing along. You know, I, I think Keith Richards said it best. Nobody remembers your solo, but they sure do remember your riffs. And that's true. That's dun, a good point. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. So, 
Yeah, so is that your advice? Just play what comes natural? Well, my advice is is uh, enjoy yourself. Just enjoy mm. yourself. Mm. You know, if you can't enjoy it yourself, are you expecting anybody else to enjoy yeah, it? Yeah, that's a damn good point. You know, and um, yeah, don't don't make your life any more complicated than it is already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially your music, right? Right. All right, I got a couple more for you. Okay. This one, you can make it short or long. It's up to you. But what is your what was your favorite decade? Um, the 2020s. The 2020s? Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved all of them. I, I, loved, I loved the, the music in the 60s. Uh, you know, I loved the Everly Brothers in the 50s. You know, um, that's where the Beatles came up with their harmony-type situations. Always before, the harmony vocalist would be a higher and uh, the Everly Brothers would go lower a mm. lot of times, so they would make that harmony really work without having to really strain their voice or anything like that. The Beatles did that a lot too, and I, and I seen that. So, and I love the Everly Brothers. Elvis Presley, are you kidding me, man? When I was five years old, I would get on a little Coke crate and stand up there, and just yeah, man. I, <laughs> you and every other kid. Yeah, I wanted to be Elvis Presley, you know. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, awesome. So. Yeah, but I look at all those influences like that, and I'm like just amazed because every decade, you know, has so much to offer, you know. And I, the only thing I don't like about a lot of the newer music now is I just don't like the computerized stuff that's going on to support them. You know, uh, that was one of the things. If you can't play it live, don't record it. Hmm. I see. My personal opinion. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's I, fair. I, yeah. So, Com- coming from a, a music professor, that's very fair. Well. Yeah, that's a good expectation for you to have of everybody. Well, I, I certainly like it. If I go to watch a live show and it sounds like the album, they're able to execute it. Yeah. I mean, not exactly like the album. I like it when there's variation, but yeah. overall, the quality and the instruments and the timing and the layering is all the same. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That just made me think of uh, Mumford and Sons. Oh. I heard Mumford and Sons. I was like, this is interesting rhythms, Absolutely. interesting sounds. This is like new stuff. Yeah. And it sounds really difficult to play. And I went and watched them live and I was like, holy shit, they can play all that live. And they're great. They're great musicians. They are great musicians. That's right. Like they, they all look like they could pass for studio musicians yeah. to me. I was like, man, this is impressive. Yeah. And you know what? I would venture to say that probably none of them read music. Not a one of them. You think? Yeah. That's okay. Well, it is. I yeah. mean, well, you know, that's one of the other things, too. Like, a lot of people ask me that. It's like um, when they would, would tell me, well, now I want my kid to play uh, this, this, and this. And, you know, I want him to learn this, this, and this. And I'm like, could you talk? Or could, could, could you write before you could talk? No. Could you read before you could talk? No. Why not? That's what you're asking this musician to do. Yeah. You're asking them to learn to read before they even know what the heck they're trying to talk about. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So the development of the ear is the most important thing. It always has been, always will be. Uh, James Taylor uh, doesn't read a single solitary note of music. Really? Hendrix didn't read music. That doesn't surprise me a bit. You know? 
Yeah, but, playing music is very much a body thing. Yeah. Very much a body thing. Yeah. For sure. And um, yeah, learning the theory. Well, I guess it depends on what kind of music you're playing. Like I grew up starting with piano. Yeah. Which piano, you can learn to play piano without reading music. Mm-hmm. But boy, is that difficult if you want to play like classic, classical, right. you know, someone yeah. else's work. Yeah. It's, you, could, you could learn a Mozart song or Chopin yeah. from ear. But you're really going to have to bang keys for a long time to figure all that. Well, and, and the other out. thing too, how many people want to do that? How many people want to do that? I mean, like uh, Dr. Frigi, she worked for me for a while yeah. too. That's not very common anymore. Well, no, but I mean, that's the, it's a strictness. It's it's a yeah. discipline. It's a very it's a discipline that doesn't have a whole lot of self gratification to begin with. You know, and I know that, oh, yeah, well, we're all into one, our, you know, the instant gratification. It's not necessary. You still have to work no matter how, what the complexity yeah. of a song is. You know, I mean, sure. if, if you have a hard time switching from E to D, that's, right. that's work. You, yeah. know, you still have to work at it. So, but if you can play E, D, and A, you can play thousands of songs. Right. And that's rewarding instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree 100%. That's what I was going to say because I, I did learn theory with my piano the whole time growing mm-hmm. up. You know what I mean? I got pretty good at it. But then when I was 15, I figured out the girls like guitar players. <laughs> got me a guitar. And I didn't learn to read music on guitar. I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm sure I could. Mm-hmm. But tablature was enough to just point you in the direction. And that makes sense. It's intuitive. Yeah. Like, put yeah. your fingers here. Okay. Yeah. And then if you can hear the melody in your head, it goes back to hearing. Yeah. Then you can do it. Sure. And it makes it a, a lot easier way to do it. Yeah. And I never even got good at tablature. Like, I yeah. couldn't sight read it. I yeah. would just read it just so I would know. And then I would figure yeah. it out by... Well, yeah. And it was way more enjoyable. Absolutely. Way more enjoyable yeah. that way. And and I it, don't get me wrong. I still think if you want to read, read. You know what I mean? Sure. You you don't... That's, that's something that you don't have to do. I mean, you know, I grew up with bluegrass players and stuff like that. And... Mm-hmm. and they don't read nothing, but them boys can play anything. Yeah, it's and so true. And they can play it real well, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's like no big deal, you know. And they don't even have to have special clothes. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know. Or shoes. Or teeth. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, true. That was mean. I shouldn't say that because, no, that's some of the some of the most, um, I don't know. It, it does impress me that. It would seem like some... I've met some people that... Well, I'll just say it this way. They don't have anything in their life together. Like, mm. their shit together at all. Yeah. But they can play the most organized music yeah. ever. I'm just like, man, that you are incredibly sophisticated with six strings. Well, it's you know, incredible. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. But it's a whole different... Whole different... What is it? Mindset, you know? Yeah, priorities. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Well, this is the last thing I wanted to ask you. Okay. Oh yeah. This this is um this is a common question I, I like to ask. In case anybody um listened to us chat on this long, what would you share with the people? What would you share with anyone if you could just share one thing and it just so happened a bunch of people would listen to it? Like what's your message to people? 73-year-old Gary Rum, been, been all around. Done. Put yourself in the mix as often as you could, not planning everything or hardly anything, according to you. Yeah. 
What did you find out that's worth sharing? Life is what you make it. It's just what you make it. You know what I mean? If, if you want it to be difficult, it'll be difficult. You know? Um, you, you just... It, it ain't always easy for a weed to grow, but that weed will grow. If it's given even the slightest chance, it'll grow. You know? So it makes the most of the life that it's given. So why don't we make the most of the life that we're given? And making the most of it, I think, is sharing that goodness, that kindness, that love that we all deserve. Does that make sense? It's perfect. Yeah. That's what I wanted to know. I appreciate it, my man. This has been excellent talking to you. What's well, been fun for me? Yeah, you enjoy yourself. Oh yeah, I, I, I've always enjoyed just talking to you, dude. You're just, I think you're one of the most uh, influential people that I've met in many, many, many years. Really? Yes. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I not think. a problem. It sounds like a big responsibility, though. But it's not <laughs> a responsibility. Yeah, I can get it. I'm just kidding. It's a privilege. It is a privilege. Yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it because I'm going to try to get you back. Yeah. There's many more rum stories, I'm sure. we gotta, we got to pull them out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Just as long as I don't have to do any R-rated, we'll be okay. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. You self-censor. I'm a terrible censor. Okay. Well, I, I will censor myself. But uh, yeah, It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Until next time. All right.